How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. In the New Testament, again, in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, become strong in the Lord and in the sovereign power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you be, will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers, the flower falls. God's word, though, abides forever. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this portion of the Holy Word, for reminding us that we are at war, but you have not left us defenseless. We have the captain of our salvation, whom we are following, and who, in whom we stand. And so we pray that you would now, as we uh, look at these various elements, these various pieces of armor that you give us, that you provide, enable us, O oh Lord, to hear these commands, to take up and to put on, and to use these things that you've given to us, not just now, although we are at war even in this service, the enemy is here, but especially as we leave and as we go about our day-to-day -day life. 
Enable us, O Lord, to be aware, to take up and put on what you've given us. And yes, ultimately, each of these pieces of armor are the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as Paul will say elsewhere, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh that we may fulfill its desires. We ask, O Lord, for your blessing now. Grant unto us full attention in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that uh, was interesting for us, our family, when we uh, moved to North Dakota the first time uh, to Minot, was the uh, immediate need to go out and buy winter clothes. We had been living in Southern California, and the need for snow boots and uh, winter jackets and all that was not necessary in Southern California. Uh, but in North Dakota, if you don't have the right clothing, what happens? You can die, right? And so, and you also have to make sure you have all the proper clothing, don't you? If you forget your gloves and you're out in 30 below zero weather with wind chill factor of 68 below, what can happen to your hands if you don't keep them in your pockets? If you have to work, you can get frostbite, right? You can lose your fingers. Same thing with the wrong kind of shoes. Can't go around in flip-flops today. That would be quite a problem, right? Especially with the snow that's out there. We need to, you have to be properly dressed. Again, I can't imagine what it would be like to be an Air Force uh, sold, or was it airmen standing outside the Minot Air Force Base guarding the nukes that are in a building, standing in 60 to 90 degree below zero wind chill factor weather for 20 minutes. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what that would be like if they didn't have the right equipment, the right clothing? They would die. 20 minutes exposure in that kind of weather. Here we have in our text a command, a call to put on all the armor, all the things you need to wage a good warfare. Put on the whole armor of God. He says it twice. Why? Because it's important. And so we need to understand and to put on, and so we're going to spend the next two Sundays, Lord willing, going through these six elements, actually seven, uh, if you count prayer as a weapon, and I think I do. I, I think of prayer as the uh, artillery. Um, so we need to understand what Paul is saying here. He's Yes, he's using an analogy, but the analogy, I think, is helpful. So let us enter in. Uh, in the bulletin, you have the uh, main point. In our moment-by-moment struggle or warfare or wrestling against the po our powerful adversaries, the world, the flesh, and the devil, God has called us to stand firm. He says it four times in our text. Trusting in the great captain of our sa salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ, furthermore, he has promised to be always with us and has provided all that we need in including a complete set of armor. He commands us to use it for our own good 
and for his glory. And so if you notice, the three points are the first three elements, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and I call them gospel shoes. Um, We'll develop that. So again, what is the command from Paul or from the Lord Jesus? In one word, stand, 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 stand. Why does he say it four times? Because it's important? He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The devil desires to not us not to stand, to trip us up, to cause us to fall down. Wrestling in this time was such that the goal was to defeat your opponent. If you could get him out of balance, you could drop him. You understand that? Satan's goal is to get you off balance in order for you to fall. And so Paul says we are called to stand, to keep our balance in the warfare, to not be caught unaware. What does he say? That you may stand against the devices of the devil. So he has given us tools. He has given us First of all, the belt of truth. If you were listening to the reading this morning, as we read Isaiah 11, did you catch that one statement in verse 5? What does Jesus have? Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness, or truth, the belt of his waist. And so Isaiah writes that our Lord Jesus has the belt of truth. As a matter of fact, Paul will say Jesus is the truth and the belt of truth. So again, let's hear what it says there in verse 14. Therefore, having girded your way with truth. Now, Paul has been talking in this letter about truth. He started all the way back in chapter 1. So let's keep the context in mind. Verse 13, chapter 1. In Christ you have also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there he says that that word, it's a word of truth that you've heard. You have it. It's not something to be learned. You know it. Furthermore, in chapter 4, Paul goes on to say, writing to the church, verse 21, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So where's the truth? Is the truth found in the world? Is the truth found in the world? Is the truth found in your heart? Follow your heart. Truth is whatever you make it. No. The truth, 
Paul says, is in Jesus. Again, in verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So this is what Paul has been describing. He's been describing the truth, and he puts the, uh, the analogy of a belt. Again, did Jesus ever claim to be the truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth. He is truth personified. Again and again, he refers to himself. But here we're described, it's, uh, he's described, or the truth as described as a belt. And there's uh, different opinions on exactly what kind of belt he's describing. Some are argue, argue that it's a wrestling belt because of the context that we wrestle not against flesh and, uh, and blood. Others argue that it is the belt that a soldier used because he's in chains with Roman soldiers next to him or in his presence. Um, I'm going to go with both of them because I think they both apply. Well, uh, during this time, there was uh, 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 the Olympics were going on or prior, and one of the key events was wrestling. And it was belt wrestling. Each opponent took and had a belt, and the goal was to get the other person, grab his belt, get him off balance, and throw him down. Belt of truth. Does that fit? Is that what the devil would like you to do? Would like to do to you is get you off balance, challenge the truth of Jesus, have you focus on the truth in me or the truth in the world or the flesh or the devil, trip you up and drop you. Is that his goal? The answer is yes. We're called to stand, and his goal is to make you fall. So that analogy is a good one. The second one, if I'm wrong on that, the belt was for the soldier. It held the rest of the armor together. Think of it this way. When the Romans, they had their clothes, they didn't wear pants like we wore, where uh, they had a long skirt-like or robe-like um, clothing. Fighting in a long robe, you trip up. And so what you would do is you would take that robe and you would pull it up and you would slip it over your belt. And so now it became shorts. So you could fight. And so the belt was designed to help you in battle. And also, it was that which holds things together. You could hang your sword on it and so on. It was your tool. It's like a utility belt. The belt of truth. It is an objective thing. It's something that, that's outside of yourself. It is ultimately Jesus, the truth. And so Paul says that we're supposed to do something with it. He says, gird your waist with truth. Put it on. Gird yourself. Be ready. You're going to war. Every morning you wake up, you're at war. 
So the first thing you should do is stop and put on the belt of truth. Do you do it? Do you stop? Say, okay, I'm going to live for truth today. I'm going to follow the truth today. I'm not going to be caught up with the errors of the world, listening to them, watching them. I'm going to critique them. And so how do you do that? How do you put on the belt of truth? Well, first of all, you need to what? Know the truth. How can you put on something you don't know? How can you put on something you don't have? Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32, says the following. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth frees us from error. What's the opposite of truth? I was thinking about this the other day. Well, it's untruth. Well, what is that? Well, it's error. The opposite of truth is error. Do we live in a society, in a world that's in error? The answer is yes. Their starting point is error. It's all about me. Or it's all about natural, right? Bang, and everything exists. I don't know if you saw this. I saw this recently. Uh, the, the four miracles, I didn't write them all down, the four miracles of atheism. Out of something came everything. Out of non-life came life. Out of uh, disorder comes order. I can't remember the fourth one. In other words, it takes quite a bit of faith to believe in evolution, to believe that all things came by chance, but not, and not by his, God's fatherly hand. So the point is, put on the truth. Know the truth. The truth is in Jesus. Secondly, be the truth. What does that mean? So identify with Jesus Christ as a soldier of truth. Have your mind set upon the truth. That would be also the idea of character. When nobody's watching, what do you do? Are you a man or a woman of truth? Are you a man and woman of integrity? Be the truth. Identify with the truth, with Jesus, who is the truth. And then thirdly, how do we put on? We speak the truth in love. We oppose falsehoods and errors. One way we can do that is, like I said, is we keep our word. Our word, your word, is your bond. If you say it, it will happen. The, the proverb says, he swears to his hurt and does not change. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, would they say that about you? He, when he says something, he keeps his word even if it hurts him. Do people see that in you? I'm convicted by that. I hope you are too. Know the truth. Be the truth. Rest in Jesus. Identify yourself with truth. And speak the truth. Paul says it in this letter in chapter 4 and in verse 25. 
Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Put off lying. Put off falsehood. Put off error. Put on the truth. Belt yourself up with the truth. How do you do that? Earlier in verses 23 and 24, he's 20, yeah, 23, 22, 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put off, put on. How often do you do that? Did you do that this morning when we confess our sins? Just put off your sins. Just put on the truth. Put on Jesus. Heidelberg Catechism, question numbers, number 101, goes on to say, as he's looking at the Ten Commandments, and in particular, taking the name of God, but may we swear reverently by the name of God, yes, when the magistrate requires it, or when it may be needful otherwise, to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to the glory of God and our neighbor's good. For such an oath is grounded in God's word, and therefore was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testament. So to maintain fidelity and truth to the glory of God. We keep our vows. We keep our promises. We keep, we keep what we say. We identify and speak the truth. So put it on. Know the truth. Be the truth. Speak the truth in action. Secondly, Paul goes on to say, but that's not enough. There's something that is exposed, that is in danger of being harmed, and that is our heart, our vital organs. We can have the truth on and still be taken out. Remember, we're talking hand-to-hand -hand combat. We're talking wrestling. We're talking uh, uh, fiery darts. We're talking weapons. If you are a police officer nowadays, you better be wearing bulletproof vests protect your vital organs. Back in the day, back in the time of the Roman Empire, the Roman soldier had a breastplate, a metal breastplate that protected himself in his vital organs. And so Paul says the next thing we're to do is after having girded our loins with truth, we are having, already having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We read earlier of our Lord. Actually, no, we didn't read that one. It's Isaiah. We read Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 59, refers to our Lord, verse 17 of Isaiah 59. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate 
and a helmet of salvation on his head. Our Lord Jesus put on the breastplate of righteousness. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus is our righteousness. Is that important? It's important for a police officer to wear a bulletproof vest. Is it important for a soldier, Roman soldier, in battle to have a breastplate on to protect him? Life or death? Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our breastplate, protects our heart. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His righteousness is your righteousness if you're trusting in him alone. Is that important in the presence of God? Do you need a perfect righteousness to stand before God? The answer is yes. Your righteousness is as filthy rags, and so is mine. But Christ's righteousness is perfect. And we receive that by faith, trusting in him. The breastplate, again, protects the vital organs, and in particular, the heart. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. And what does he do? He accuses us, or would try to accuse you night and day. What is he going after? He's going after your heart. Stab you in the heart. Make you unable to stand. To drop you. And so we are called what? What does Paul say to we're to do with the breastplate? Put it on. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. How do we do it? Well, turning to Romans, Paul says it this way. In Romans 6, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Right? Isn't that what Paul says? Paul, in the book of Romans, or in the letter to the Romans, has been talking about the gospel, and this is the first place now in chapter 6 where he says, here's what you're supposed to do with it. What are you supposed to do with it? I'll read it again. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So how do you put it on? Do you consecrate your whole body to God every day? I exist for you, God, not for me. My body exists for you. My eyes exist for you. My heart exists for you. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision or the lusts, the desires of the flesh. 
Paul earlier has been developing this in the idea of walking. Again, back in chapter 4, again, verse 24, we just read, but that you put on the new man, which is created according to God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Again, in chapter 5, verse 9, for you were once darkness, now light in the Lord, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So yes, it is Christ's righteousness that protects us from the attacks of the devil, but that doesn't mean that we can live our lives unrighteous. Oh, may grace abound, the more. No. We're called to holiness. We're called to follow Jesus, who is righteous. And so righteousness should, again, be part of who we are. Or another way of saying it, righteousness is truth, life actualized. Ooh, fancy term. What does that mean? It means life put into practice. I mean, truth put into practice in our life. Isn't that what righteousness is? Doing what is right before God, according to God. Isn't that righteousness? So it's taking the truth and living it. Actualizing it. So yes, we have the righteousness of Christ that functions to protect our hearts, but he calls us now to walk that way. Walk uprightly according to the truth to identify with the righteousness of Christ. And so part of sanctification, part of the work of the Holy Spirit, is to enable us to put on the righteousness of Christ and to walk in righteousness. So there should be a difference between you and your neighbor, your co-worker who doesn't know Jesus. It should be a difference. Again, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive to God through Christ. So put on the breastplate of righteousness. When Satan attacks, by faith resist and overcome him, ultimately not because of your righteousness, but because of his. Right? Christ's righteousness. Yes, I acknowledge I failed, I sinned. Satan, yeah, you got it wired. But Jesus died for my sin. And I hate it. And I'm trying not to do it more and more. So go get, get behind me, Satan. I'm righteous in Christ before God in an era of eternal life. Where's that? Anybody? Where's that? I am righteous in Christ before God in an era of eternal life. Where's that found? I've quoted, I quote it often. Where's that found? Anybody? Question 59 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Who are you? I am righteous in Christ before God in an era of eternal life. I have the breastplate of righteousness. How often do you put it on? How often do you call to mind what Jesus has done for you, what he's doing for you, what he will do? He is our righteousness. Okay, so now we have the truth that holds everything together. 
We have the breastplate of righteousness that protects us against the blows of the wicked one, of the devil, of the world, of the flesh. Where does Paul go from there? He says, okay, before we go with externals, we got to get also our feet right. If I'm going to stand, I got to have good footing. So what has God given us to enable us to stand, 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 and stand? Well, Paul writes, having shod, having put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Notice it says preparation. The Roman soldier had a kind of a half boot and strapped. So it was like a boot, but it, it didn't go all the way up like a cowboy boot, but was a lower one with straps that then tightened. And usually they had nails placed in them. Think of a track shoe. For those of you that are running track, you know about track shoes and those spikes that are there. The Roman soldiers had these boots that had spikes in them so they could stand in a fight and hold their, their footing. Okay? That was the... Again, Paul maybe be sitting right there next to a Roman soldier, and he looks and he sees his boots, his shoes, and uses that as an analogy. Now, is that only in the Roman time? And the answer is no. We just read Isaiah uh, chapter 52, and there that language is found. Again, let's look at that. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. The context is warfare. How beautiful are the feet of those who do bring, who have prepared themselves to bring, to stand on the gospel of peace. And I find that really interesting. Do you notice that statement? It's the gospel of peace that we are to stand on while we're at war. Isn't that kind of odd? It's kind of like what Isaiah says, that Jesus is the prince of peace, who is also a man of war. Through warfare, the warfare of Christ, he brought peace. He defeated the enemy. He crushed the head of the serpent. And we uh, have now that gospel, those gospel shoes, the gospel of peace. Paul will refer to that in another way in Romans chapter 10, quoting from Isaiah, in Romans chapter 10, he talks about the gospel. Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Do you preach the gospel to yourself? Or like in Uganda, as I said before, have you seen the cross today, brother, sister? 
Do you do that? You go back to the cross. Oh, I did that 30, 40 years ago. No, no, no. Did you do it today? I need Jesus today. I need the cross today. So what we do every Sunday, first part of the service, is to deal with that, is to focus on the gospel. A good defense in, in war is the gospel of, of, of peace applied to ourselves. Right? Is the enemy going to try to trip you, to bring you down, knock you down, beat you up, cause you to fail? What's your alternative? How can you stand? I stand on the gospel. I move on, was standing in Jesus, the gospel. But also, notice it says preparedness, a readiness, a good offense is the gospel of peace applied to others. We're called to rescue others. We're called to always be ready to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, Peter says. So the gospel of peace has a defensive element to protect us from getting knocked down, from losing our footing, but also it's we're design, it's designed to give us the ability to deliver someone else from deception. So how do I put it on? Well, again, you have to know the gospel. Can you? Do you? Could you summarize it? If someone were to ask you, what must I do to be saved? What would you say? I mean, how rare is that, right? Someone, someone you're working with or someone that you meet and they say, what must I do to be saved? That would be a pretty radical experience, wouldn't it? Well, what would you say? Would you be caught flat-footed? Uh, 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 I don't know what to say. What do I say? What would you say? What would you say? What must I do to be saved? I know I'm going to hell. What must I do to be saved? What would you say? Do you know the gospel? Can you share it? Can you at least express it? Yeah, it can be simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, but where do you find the bread? Jesus, his person, his work. We confessed it earlier in the Apostles' Creed. The Heidelberg Catechism. What? How I am redeemed from all my sins and misery. How? Through Jesus, his life, his death. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's how Paul answered that question, right? When the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? He said, what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your household. <gasps> Oops, he slipped in the out of the household. How do I put on the gospel shoes? Know it, share it, and train others in it. So the armor, notice all of these pieces are all close to the body. Next week, we'll be looking at the shield of faith. We'll be looking at the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit in prayer, probably the following week. These are more external. They're more offensive. But what good is it to have a sword if you can't keep your feet what good is it if you're not that skilled in the sword and the other guy's a better sword fighter? What's going to happen if you don't have the breastplate of righteousness? You're a dead man or dead woman. What if you don't have 
the truth. You can be led to and fro and tossed about by every wind of doctrine. So Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We are called to be active soldiers standing in God's armor and we can't succeed in life's battles. The warfare is unseen. I'll end with this warfare, a picture of it. Many years ago, there was the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter was arrested, and they were going to execute him. He was in prison. He was chained to soldiers. And we read in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. He was in a terrible situation. Herod was going to bring him out and kill him, execute him in the morning. He's chained to soldiers. He's got soldiers in outside. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie on your sandals, and so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And they, when they passed the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. He thought it was a vision. He thought he was dreaming. He's laying there. There's nothing that no one can save me. In the next moment, he's standing outside the prison. Well, how, what just happened? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.